Hello and welcome to Bite Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, I'm going to be taking you back to 18th century France, to the backwoods, where we're going to look at a mysterious spree of killings perpetrated by something known only as the Beast of Gévaudan. So, let's take a look. Our story begins in 1764 in Gévaudan in southern France, which, according to writer J.M. Smith in his book Monsters of the Gévaudan, The Making of a Beast, quote, It had the reputation for being a remote, isolated backwater where the forces of nature had not been fully tamed, where the forests were indeed enchanted, end quote. So, of course, this is before the Industrial Revolution. So this is a pre-industrial area, um, kind of like a backwoods region of France. Just to set the stage a little bit, France in 1764 was in rough shape. They had just lost the Seven Years' War, um, and that ended with the Treaty of Paris in 1763. They suffered a number of defeats at the hands of the British and the Prussians. The Seven Years' War in the United States is called the French and Indian War uh, because that's who the uh, American, you know, the British colonists were fighting. As a result, uh, France had lost the bulk of its overseas empire, specifically all of its holdings in North America called New France, which would later become Canada. So they had a lot of debt. Um, there had been crushing taxes on the French peasantry to pay for this war. Uh, the King Louis XV was not nearly as effective as the previous one, Louis XIV, who was so powerful and successful that he was called the Sun King because it was thought that he illuminated Europe. So, yeah, kind of a big deal. But um, that's where our story starts. The summer of 1764, June 30th to be precise, when there was a 14-year-old shepherdess, Jean Boulet, who was tending a flock of sheep, and she was attacked by a mysterious beast. Unfortunately, she lost her life, and that is the first recorded attack of this creature. Over the next few weeks, the number of attacks increased until local officials were forced to take action. There was a local government official called Etienne Lafont, and there was a captain called Jean-Baptiste Duhamel, and uh, he was a leader of the local infantry, and they decided to get together and do something about this. They were bolstered by a number of volunteers. They organized into companies and scoured the countryside. In fact, they left poisoned bait, and they even had some soldiers dress as peasant women and kind of like roam the countryside by themselves as bait to try to draw the beast out. But it didn't work. According to Jean-Marc Morisseau in La Bête du Gévaudan, which is the Beast of Gévaudan, he's a writer, the reward for killing the monster eventually equaled a full year's salary for a working man, like uh like a laborer. But despite all this, no success. In fact, 
On October 8th, 1764, there was a mauling. Somebody got mauled by this beast, and there were fortunately some armed men nearby, and they chased it to a place called Chateau de la Baume. <laughs> they opened fire on this thing and fire a whole volley at it, and they managed to hit it. Um, but after the beast fell, it got up and ran off into the woods. Um, and this later on would lead to some of the local legends that the, the beast was essentially bulletproof, like it was impervious to mortal weapons. The beast of Gévaudan at this point just could not be stopped. More and more people were getting killed, mauled, harassed, attacked. On January 12, 1765, the beast attacked a boy called Jacques Portefeuille, 10 years old, and a group of seven friends. They were all together, ages 8 to 12. This guy, Jacques Portefeuille, and his friends armed themselves with sticks and rocks and managed to drive off the beast. Like, how crazy is that, these brave children? The children actually got a reward from the king, and Portefeuille himself was given an education paid for by the crown. Around this time, the king of France hired a professional wolf hunter to go down to Gévaudan and stop this beast, but was unsuccessful. Later on, on September 20th, 1765, the king's 71-year-old gun bearer, a guy Francis Antoine, uh, he was with his nephew, um, some sources say it was his son, doesn't matter. They did shoot a large wolf near an abbey, uh, and this was assumed to be the Beast of Gévaudan. Antoine was, you know, the hero, he was the, the man of the hour, he was awarded with money and titles, and the corpse of the beast was stuffed and sent to the royal court. But the story is not over. The story of what was going on around this time was published in a local newspaper called the Courrier d'Avignon by the creator and editor François Morena. And keep in mind, you know, newspapers were still quite primitive at this time. And news stories like this um, were not common. And certainly they were not often picked up by uh, other papers like... Uh, the worldwide kind of media system of papers picking up stories from other papers uh, wasn't quite in place yet. But this story was such, so sensational, so just crazy, that it was actually picked up by papers in London, Turin, Cologne, Amsterdam, Berlin, Geneva, and Boston. There, you know, a paper in Boston across the sea in, in the 1760s actually picked up this story. And uh, some historians speculated that this may have been one of the first recorded instances of kind of a, a worldwide sensationalist uh, news story. Uh, it, was, it was just this intriguing mystery that people just couldn't get enough of. Now, another thing I wanted to tell you about was the maid of Gévaudan. This is just absolutely a, a, an insane story. There was a young woman in the summer of 1765, now on August 11th, Marie-Jeanne Vallée. She was crossing a river and, you know, as a precaution, she had affixed a knife to a pole, basically creating a spear. 
And she was attacked by the beast while she was wading through this river. Um, this, this teenage woman. She managed to plunge the spear into the beast's chest, just bury this, this spear uh, into this, this horrible monster that everybody had been so afraid of. And it ran off uh, wounded, um, presumably not mortally wounded, as we're going to see later. And her story was just so inspiring. She became known as the maid of Gévaudin or the Amazon. In fact, in Auvers village in the region, there's even a statue commemorating this young woman. So I just wanted to share that with you uh, as well. Marie-Jeanne Vallée. Remember how I said the king's 71-year-old gun bearer Francois Antoine killed the beast? Well, that wasn't the end of the story. The attacks continued after that event, and the crown at this point kind of ignored it because they were like, I, I don't know what these peasants are talking about. We killed the beast, we killed the beast. They declared victory, even though the attacks were continuing. So in early June, 1767, so we're going a bit further along in our timeline here. Keep in mind, the attacks happened over a span of three years, 1764 to 1767. By early June of 1767, there's this local uh, nobleman, the Marquis d'Apcher, and he organizes a hunt with a bunch of his peasants. On the 19th of June, one of these hunters, there was this guy called Jean Chastel, he managed to shoot a wolf on the slopes of Mount Moucher. And this was the wolf that was suspected of doing a lot of the, uh, the killings. They wanted to be sure, so when the beast was dead, they cut it open and they did find human remains inside. And the animal was like a little strange, acting strangely. Um, the attacks did end, but even afterwards, people still weren't sure if this was actually the beast of Gévaudin. And the reason why is because it was a normal wolf and a lot of the descriptions of the beast were just out of this world, which is what we're going to get to now, and maybe you can make up your own mind whether they got it or not. Okay, so now let's look at some of the descriptions of this beast as reported by people uh, living there at the time. First of all, you remember that newspaper editor Etienne Lafont? Well, according to him, he said, quote, It is much bigger than a wolf. It has a snout somewhat like a calf's and very long hair, which would seem to indicate a hyena, end quote. Now, whether Lafont had ever even seen a hyena, like we don't know, um, the next thing I wanted to share was an account from, do you remember it, uh, early in the story there was that captain of the militia, uh, Jean-Baptiste Duhamel? Well, <laughs> according to him, it had a breast as wide as a horse and a body as long as a, a leopard's and fur that was red with a black stripe. And he said, quote, you will undoubtedly think, like I do, that this is a monster, the father of which is a lion. What its mother was remains to be seen." End quote. Another thing is, a lot of people at the time thought that um, 
this thing had it like it was larger than a wolf a lot of descriptions describe it as big as a, a calf uh, or even a horse um, its coat was described as reddish gray with a long kind of panther-like tail that's one of the accounts as well the head and legs uh, had short hair and were uh, deer colored which presumably is like brownish um, more than one person described it as having a black stripe on its back and talons on its feet. Uh, there were drawings that were made of this this thing at the time that um, it looks more like a wolf uh, more than anything else. In terms of its behavior, it was said to hunt in the evenings and in the mornings. It was an ambush predator that stalked its prey and seized them by the throat. A number of its victims were actually found completely decapitated. Um, there were reports of it getting shot and running off. There were reports of it having extraordinary leaping ability, like it could jump higher and further than any animal known in the region. Um, there were reports that you could shoot it and it would run off. Some people speculated that it wasn't even an animal. It was some kind of supernatural uh, demon or devil or uh, a punishment sent from God or, or things like that. So that's kind of like, I wanted to try to generate a, an image in your mind of what this thing was, because in a minute, I'm gonna talk about all of the possible theories uh, as to what it was. And historians have taken a long look at these witness accounts and have put together a number of theories as to what it was, which I'd like to share with you. The first theory is that it was, in fact, a wolf. Uh, wolves nowadays are very rare, if not non-existent, in Western Europe, but at the time they were still everywhere. Do you remember that writer I mentioned, uh, Morisot, he wrote La Bête du, du Gévaudin? According to his book, he estimated that wolf attacks caused as many as 9,000 fatalities across the country of France between the end of the, the 16th century and the beginning of the 19th century. Um, so wolf attacks were not rare during this time. And uh, a lot of the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the deep dark woods and the prowling wolf, like this is a very powerful, persistent, consistent part of European folklore. You know, how many fairy tales do we have with the big bad wolf? Um, it has been speculated that perhaps this was an abnormally large wolf, perhaps a wolf with some kind of genetic abnor uh, abnormality or coloring. Some people have suggested that it was rabid, so it was a wolf suffering from rabies, although no record of, you know, rabies among the victims or anything has survived. Um, so there's no evidence from all the historical accounts that uh, rabies was even involved. So that's kind of the, the wolf um, theory. The next one is that it was a striped hyena. Um, hyenas, you know, obviously, uh, they're, they're not native to France, so they, they come from Africa. The idea is that a local rich person or zoo or circus or nobleman or something 
um, had one of these in their possession. And that was not entirely unusual. Like a lot of noblemen at the time sometimes would have a menagerie of exotic animals or something like this. And it's theorized that this person was, uh, this uh, beast was in a person's private holding and then escaped. And because it was not native to France, the peasants had never seen anything like this. You know, when you come across a striped hyena, they're like, oh, well, obviously this is a monster. Like this is not, uh, this is not part of the natural world. So, I mean, yes and no, that's, it could be that, it could not be. Uh, the source I have is says that uh, striped hyenas are not known to attack humans. Um, and again, we talked about rabies, but there's no evidence of that. Another theory is that it was a lion, uh, possibly an immature male lion. So according to this uh, line of thinking, there was an immature male lion that was in somebody's private holdings that they had acquired somehow and that it escaped from captivity. Um, the beast lions often will seize things by the throat. Uh, you know, if you look at the movie, The Ghost uh, uh, and the Darkness, which was about killer lions in, in East Africa, it was based on a true story called The Lions of Savo um, that killed a bunch of people. So. You know, it's not unusual that there are historical accounts of lions killing people. Um, one of the interesting thing is that immature male lions, uh, sub-adults, uh, often do not have a fully developed mane and will have kind of like a little furry mohawk and like maybe like a stripe going down their back. So that's kind of a little bit behind that theory. Um, there was another theory that it was an armored war dog so like a, a huge dog but it looked different because it it was covered in armor um maybe if it was like leather or or armor made of natural materials maybe it would have blended in like i'm not talking about like a, a dog in chainmail or something like that but maybe it would have looked as like a tough hide and it would have been difficult to shoot in that case um there's also another theory that it was actually a a, a human serial killer <laughs> okay so the human serial killer theory has two branches the first one is that it was a human wearing the pelt you know almost like a wolf suit and killing people that way which is very fantastical uh, another one is that uh, a human serial killer had managed to train some kind of animal uh, to kill people and was doing it that way um, and then there's, you know, more supernatural explanations, uh, like I mentioned before. Um, and these were not entirely discounted at the time, you know, like this is a pre-industrial society, rural peasantry, very superstitious, very religious. Some of them did think that it was a demon um, because this thing would pop up and it would disappear and it had extraordinary abilities. It had visual characteristics that nobody had ever seen before. There were reports of people shooting it and just like nothing would happen. So those are kind of the, the main um, theories I wanted to get to. Uh, some historians have suggested that it was actually an overpopulation of wolves at the time that were starving so that the beast of Gévaudin was actually two, three, four, five different animals uh, that were all operating at the same time, like in the same region, and it was just kind of collected and people began to believe that it was all the work of a single creature.
Nobody really knows the total number of people that were killed uh, by this entity, this this beast of Gévaudan, um, from the first attack on June 30th, 1764, to when it was finally uh, killed by Jean Chastel uh, in June of 1767. One source I looked at uh, reported about 100 people killed. Another one reported 300 killed. And keep in mind, kind of with the, again, the the pre-industrial society, maybe the newspapers exaggerated, folk tales, like in this kind of atmosphere, it's it's often very hard to pin down exact numbers. But uh, that's what we know. You know, it's a it's a three year period. That's the basic story. Uh, there were frightened peasants, the king's wolf hunter, the, you know, it's just eventually this beast was killed um, and it was stuffed. Now, the stuffed beast that was sent to the royal court eventually disappeared, so it's not like we can uh, look at it today. But uh, definitely, I, I, I hope this has been a, a, a good story, um, at least. It's kind of, this is one of the episodes where I love to talk about history, but in this episode... We kind of dipped our toes a little bit in cryptozoology. Uh, cryptozoology being like the study of animals that may or may not exist. You know, like the classic example uh, is like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or something like that. Um, my personal theory, if I had to speculate, is that it was probably some kind of exotic animal that escaped from a nobleman's estate. But uh, definitely... Um, that's not set in stone. Like, to this day, we still don't really know what it was. All right, well, that's going to do it for us here today. I'd like to thank you for joining me in our exploration of the Beast of Gévaudan. This has been Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to bitesizedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Leave a review on iTunes. Tell your friends. The whole works. Thank you so, so much for listening. Goodbye.